You're listening to the Effective Statistician Podcast, a weekly podcast with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske and Sam Gardner designed to help you reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients without becoming overwhelmed by work. Today I'm talking with Paolo about subgroup analysis, a never-ending story and always something interesting to learn about, so stay tuned. I'm producing this podcast in association with PSI, a community dedicated to leading and promoting the use of statistics within the healthcare industry for the benefit of patients. Join PSI today to further develop your statistical capabilities with access to the video-on-demand content library, free registration to all PSI webinars, and we are actually talking about one of these today, and much, much more. Head over to the PSI website at psiweb.org to learn more about PSI activities and become a PSI member today. Welcome to a new episode of the Effective Statistician. And today I'm talking with Paolo about one of my favorite topics, subgroups in combination with data visualization. Hi, Paolo. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Very good. Subgroup analysis is a really important topic. It comes up again and again and again. You know, you want to understand subgroups for safety reasons. You want to understand subgroups for efficacy reasons. Um, it's a common question in terms of how um, consistent your drug works across different subgroups of whether there's a specific subgroup that stands out in terms of efficacy or safety. It gets even more complicated if you want to review it across multiple studies, for example. So within subgroups, yeah, I think data visualization plays a very, very important role. What's your experience regarding this, Paolo? Yeah, I think that uh, presenting uh, some exploratory Subgroup uh, analysis with graphical displays is, is really, really important. I think it's always the case that uh, you can deliver a better message if you use properly uh, some graphical display. Uh, for example, uh, one year ago, I was working uh, with one of my colleagues uh, in terms of uh, uh, doing some exploratory work for subgroups Uh, identification because uh, uh, we had one study with uh, unclear uh, message at the end uh, mm. and uh, we wanted to have a fruitful discussion with the clinical team, uh, have a nice tool, uh, have an interactive way of uh, discussing what we have uh, in the data and uh, we presented uh, an interactive uh, application based on the subscreen uh, package developed by People buyer, and uh, it was really successful. Clinicians uh, liked it uh, because you can uh, basically uh, split uh, um, the sample sites uh, in the subgroups you want. In every combination, uh, you put all the subgroup in one display, find a plot, and you can interact with it. You click on each dot and you have a, a specific uh, subgroup 
maybe it's uh, you know subjects uh, uh, male and uh, with a certain age and uh, with some uh, disease duration at baseline and you see how much the effect size deviates from the overall effect size. Yep, yep. I really like this R-based tool as well because it really supports the usual workflow that you have. Yeah, by looking into subgroups more and more closely and also more and more complex subgroups. Yeah, you start maybe with subgroups that are just defined by one variable. Yeah, then you start into subgroups looking into, you know, that combination of two or three and more, more variables. With this plot, these, this funnel plot, you can really see kind of the relationship between the size of the subgroup and the effect within the subgroup. And the, the funnel plot, you can think of as here's the horizontal line is the size of the group. And the vertical line is the uh, effect within the group. Upwards, more effect. Uh, downwards, less effect. And so, of course, with smaller subgroups, you, by random chance, get more and less uh, big effects. This funnel is really that, you know, the smaller the subgroups, the, the bigger the distribution, of course. But with a funnel, you can also see whether there's certain subgroups that don't follow just this kind of random pattern, but which really stand out. And these are the ones that you really want to look for, because these are the ones that where there's potentially really something happening. Yeah, I, I really like the, the idea because, for example, the developers didn't want to put uh, confidence intervals or p-values in the tool because uh, it meant just for exploratory purpose. Mm. And I think that uh, it's also an educational tool for clinicians. They can understand that uh, if you cut the sample, you can, uh, of course, have uh, uh, more chance to, to have larger uh, deviations from the overall effect. Yeah. You can also find, uh, you know, these subgroups that really deviates, deviates from this expected pattern. Yeah. And of course, clinicians are used to funnel plots. If you think about uh, reporting uh, biases uh, in uh, meta-analysis, yeah. they know that there is an expected pattern and some uh, deviation from this expected pattern in the plot. Yeah, yeah. Yes, this kind of combination of different subgroups is a really, really interesting topic. Yeah. So, of course, we, you know, if you have just two variables that you look into, yeah, you can you can think of a Venn diagram, yeah, with, with the two areas and say overlap, then you get a nice description of it. But as soon as you have more than two, it gets really, really complex, yeah? Um, and for that, you have in your presentation of your subgroup in the subgroup webinars that, that recently happened and that 
uh, was done by PSI on Wednesday of the 17th of November, um, you have shown a, a, a different plot. And to be honest, up to you know the point that someone mentioned it in a wonderful Wednesday webinar, I haven't known about this plot. So can you tell us a little bit more about this, this upset plot? Yeah, it's a really nice uh, device in which uh, I discussed uh, the basic uh, upset plot in which you have the intersection uh, between groups and you have uh, the sample sites uh, for, for example, control, uh, harm and treatment uh, in terms of the sample sites uh, in each uh, harm. So you can see the amount of patients you have uh, for each of these intersections. And of course, you can uh, have uh, an extended version of this plot, uh, including the asset sites. So maybe you have uh, a forest plot in the middle, mm -hmm. and then you have the intersection on the left side of the forest plot, and on the right side, you have the uh, amount of patients you have in each arm. So you can have a comprehensive overview of uh, what you have in terms of um, uh, sites, in terms of uh, number of people, in terms of uncertainty in your effect size for this specific uh, subgroup. So the original version of the upset plot was uh, only with uh, uh, intersection uh, between having or not having this particular uh, condition for the subgroup uh, definition. And then you have uh, uh, also this extended version, uh, considering also the case that for uh, age, for example, you don't want to consider any split between uh, older or younger than 65. Maybe yeah. you want to consider all the uh, possible ages, and then you have a different combination of other characteristics. Yeah. But of course, it's difficult to scale, you know, this graphical display uh, when four, five, six, ten to various defined subgroups. Yeah, yeah. But there, the ordering comes really nicely. Yeah, I think the uh, yeah. as you order the subgroups there in terms of the size, um, you you know you don't need to show everything. You just kind of cut at a certain point, and any subgroups that are smaller than that you just ignore. Yeah, which yeah, I think sure. is, is 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 quite reasonable, and that makes this upset plot quite then quite manageable. Um, I think it's a plot that everybody should be aware about because it's really nice and helpful uh, and yet very much underused. Um, yeah. You touched on another interesting point and that is the continuous um, uh, covariates and looking there into subgroups. That's, you know, the just the dichotomization or the categorization of your covariate is kind of a little bit tricky because of course we know that you know just because you turn 65 your biology doesn't dramatically change <laughs> yeah of course you presented about the step approach to this can you tell a little bit about what that does 
It's a nice uh, way, uh, among others, I would say, to display how uh, you can have uh, different uh, size effects uh, along the continuum of a biomarker of uh, different characteristics. Uh, and uh, of course, uh, you, you need to have uh, some kind of smoothing in the sense that uh, you, you need to adapt uh, your uh, analysis to the level of the covariate, uh, trying to avoid you know, this basic linear trend that uh, doesn't maybe tell you all, all the story. So yeah. basically, uh, you, you cut the sample size in uh, uh, different subgroups. Mm-hmm. which are neighboring. You started by, for example, you have uh, 400 patients and you start by considering uh, uh, 50 patients uh, in each uh, subgroup uh, and uh, mm-hmm. you, you start. And then you consider also the case that you can have an overlap between neighboring uh, subgroups. Yep. So yep. You, you started from, uh, for example, younger people, people with a median age of uh, 45, and then uh, you have another subgroup uh, with the median age of uh, 50, for example. Yeah. And these two subgroups could overlap, uh, for example, maximum 20 patients, for example. And you have uh, the effect size for each of the subgroup. And of course, uh, you have uh, a confidence interval, which is basically calculated as always. And then uh, you have also a simultaneous confidence. In the, mm-hmm. in the sense that you are taking into account that you are reusing the same data to some extent. Yep, yep. So you get a really nice smoothing uh, over the complete range of your covariate. And you then can very much easily see whether there's, for example, some kind of hockey-shaped curve or whether there's some um, U-shaped curve or, you know, any other relationship. And um, always that's really, you know, pretty, pretty stable. Yeah. And some, some kind of linear uh, regression really makes a lot of sense. I think that is um, a really nice graphical approach. Um, the downside is I think you need a decent number of patients yeah. <laughs> to, to sure. estimate these things because otherwise you can't really you know smooth things out so, so i think the uh, it's surely not a nice approach if you have just 20 patients it's it's uh will not yeah work. and then you can see that uh, if you if you have a smaller sample size uh, then you have um, uh, in the end uh, you produce your problem to fit uh, a straight line because yeah yeah. You, you can't cut uh, along the continuum. So, yeah, yeah, completely agree. There is the now the next problem that you talked about in your presentation is about um, exploring subgroups between studies. So, what's the biggest problem there when you compare across different studies? Yeah, for example, uh, if we uh, think about one study, we speak often uh, about uh, 
uh, heterogeneous treatment effect. For example, in terms of uh, when you have different studies, maybe you have different results. Mm-hmm. So what you can find uh, in one study could not hold in the other one. And I've encountered these uh, situations in which uh, clinicians, for example, struggle to understand uh, why you have uh, uh, different treatment effects uh, in uh, uh, one study. And, and uh, you, at some point, you, you may want to combine the evidence you have in your pool of studies and trying to figure out how much heterogeneous is your heterogeneous treatment effect uh, uh, in your studies. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if you have five, six or seven studies, as it can be the case, uh, if you have a clinical wow. development program progressed uh, uh, a lot, and you have maybe also real-world evidence data, you have uh, phase four studies uh, and phase two studies in the same uh, bucket, then uh, you can uh, do a three-step meta-analysis approach, basically. You, you fit uh, the, the model, you find the subgroup, and then you combine the interactions mm-hmm. and see the heterogeneity across studies of this interaction term. Okay, okay. So you basically first identify the subgroups, then within the studies, you look into the interactional effect between treatment and the subgroup. You uh, show that across the different studies using a forest plot. And in the third step, what, what's happening there? Then uh, there is one uh, nice uh, uh, graphical uh, device uh, that has been used a uh, few uh, times uh, in the meta-analysis uh, uh, literature, which is the Gauche plot. So basically, you can fit uh, the uh, meta-analysis step for all the uh, combinations of the studies you had. For example, you can uh, put together the studies one and two, one, two, and three, all the studies from one to seven, for example, if you have the seven studies. Mm-hmm. And then you have uh, a bunch of this uh, com- combinatorial uh, yeah. definition. And then you have uh, this gauche plot. Uh, so basically, it's a scatter plot in which you have uh, the high square in the y-axis and the effect sides in the x axis. So you you see how much heterogeneity you have uh, for each combination depending mm-hmm. on the effect sites. And of course you can spot some pattern for example and uh, you can uh, have a, a, for example a Gaussian uh, mixture model you identify some cluster and then uh, you can see that uh, one of the uh, study is responsible for the creation of such clusters. And you can spot uh, this study as uh, the driver of the uh, heterogeneity 
mm-hmm. across your studies. Yeah, and then yep. you can maybe have a closer look to this data. Yeah, and see yep. what was going on there. So, so what you what you're doing is you have this plot of the effect size versus the heterogeneity score. Here's the I square. And um, see, that gives you the scatter plot. And then on, on top of that, you build a unsupervised learning, so it's a cluster analysis. And then you get to a number of clusters and you can understand kind of which, which studies are in these clusters, so to say, yeah. mostly represented. Okay. Yeah, in the sense that, uh, for example, you have uh, uh, three clusters identified, mm-hmm. and uh, maybe the proportion of each study is less or more equal in, mm-hmm. in all these clusters. And then you have one study which is uh, more present in the one of the clusters, for example. And yeah. uh, it's so all, almost uh, absent in. Uh, the other cluster. So it's uh, more unevenly distributed uh, uh, yep. in this cluster. So it's like uh, having a covariates that vary a lot in the cluster analysis. For example, when you have a cluster, for example, with uh, a high proportion of uh, uh, younger people and a low proportion of older people. And then uh, if you think about customers, and then you can identify this cluster uh, of customers like uh, the young people uh, who like this kind of uh, stuff. And uh, it's the same here. You have uh, in this particular cluster where you have uh, maybe a lot of uh, heterogeneity and uh, higher or lower size. you have uh, this study or these two studies more uh, present. Yeah, yeah. And you also talked about um, yet another uh, nice application, um, an R-Shiny tool that um, was presented at a wonderful Wednesday um, in December 2020, and where you can you know, much better kind of interact with, with the different data. That gives you this, this gosh plot compared to, you know, uh, combined with a forest plot. And it's really, really nice to explore and the heterogeneity within subgroups across, you know, different, different uh, studies. So lots of, lots of graphical stuff that we talked about here. Um, and of course, we only talked about it. So I really urge you to um, have a look into our corresponding blog post where you will find all the different uh, links to these different graphics. There is R codes. There is, you know, the link to the um, video on demand, where the uh, where you can, you know, look to the complete webinar. Also, with the other interesting discussions about subgroups, and yeah, code stuff like this. So I think it's a it's a huge nice thing to look into these things in a, in a visual way because, yeah, it's so much faster than looking across many, many different um, 
tables, for example. Tables, yeah. Yeah. So, Paolo, what's your key takeaway base uh, that you want the listener to step away with? <laughs> I can only echo you that uh, I think that uh, we have the opportunity to evolve a little bit with uh, the technology we have. So it's really difficult to uh, having a sense of what's going on just scrolling uh, thousands of tables. And it's much more uh, elegant and pleasant to look at uh, one uh, interactive uh, application. Yeah, yeah. I think that will be much more the future. And I think people get more used to these interactive data visualizations also now as you know there's so many dashboards around the pandemic why not use that within the companies and maybe also for in the future at some point with, with regulators and and other customers that we have thanks so much paolo that was a great discussion and again you can check out our homepage where you will find all these different uh, links And stay tuned for much more in the future to hear from Paolo and myself. Thanks, bye. This show was created in association with PSI. Thanks to Rain who helps with the show in the background. And thank you for listening. Reach your potential, lead great science and serve patients. Just be an effective statistician. Yeah.